it, it's not a voluntary profession to be assumed by anyone who so desires. It shouldn't be thrust upon a child by an overzealous parent. It should be, according to Merrill F. Unger in his book, Principles of Expository Preaching, the preacher must have a divine call and commission. He says, in, in addition to the experience of regeneration and spiritual fullness, the Bible expositor should possess the settled conviction that God has called and separated him or her to the gospel ministry as a life work. He goes on to say there, there are many ways in which the call may come, directly or indirectly, through circumstances, but come it must, he says, because preaching God's word is an important work. God does the selecting, the calling, and the empowering for this momentous task. Now, laymen can preach. There are people who don't have a call to preach as a profession on their life that can step to the pulpit and preach and teach the Bible and do it well. But when God calls an individual to give their full time to the ministry of the Word, that individual, he or she, must know they are divinely called. God wants you to know. If He's called you, He wants you to know you are called. He does not want you to have to go on and, and just assume or wonder. He, he will let you know if you are called. I remember it was my second semester in Bible school. I knew I had a call of God in my life, but I didn't know I was going to preach. But it wasn't until that second semester of Bible school, sitting in the congregation and listening to Evangelist Jason Sisko preach a youth revival in Stockton, California, sitting in that congregation, that the Lord called me to preach. It was a definite thing. A preacher is not a Christian who decides to preach. He does not just decide to do it. She does not just decide to take up preaching as a calling. Now that picture of that type of life lived by a minister has often appealed to certain people. I, I just want to be a preacher. And I've known people who have wanted to be preachers. But they weren't called to preach. I your, your calling will, will make itself evident. When you look in the scriptures, when you look at preachers of the past, there was a definite call. There was a definite experience. There was a, there was a, a surety. You won't have to wonder. Authority to do the work of God must come from God. How can somebody stand and speak in the name of another without having been commissioned to do so. Paul based his authority to preach upon a personal divine call. But not only is preaching a high calling, it is a holy calling. And I felt to make this point very clear for the next few minutes. Our lifestyle as a preacher is important to God. For those that are students here studying in Christian ministries and maybe taking preaching classes, you've heard me say some of this, but I, I want to remind you that our lifestyle, the way we live, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we carry ourselves is so very important. The calling of the preacher. Uh, pastor Robert Murray McShane, the historic Scottish pastor, said a holy minister 
is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Certainly God wants us to use our talents, and after all, He gave them to us. But along with the developing of our talents and spiritual gifts is also He wants to perfect our character. We are God's weapons, and weapons need to be sharp to be useful. God gives His best to those who most reflect the beauty of holiness. 2 Chronicles 16.9 The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. When Paul urged Timothy to exercise himself to godliness, 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. Paul made a metaphor familiar to people of that day, familiar to us today, athletics. He used the metaphor of athletics. It was something the Romans, the Greeks, highly treasured. They would be shocked. The Romans and Greeks would be shocked if they caught a glimpse of our professionally organized sports today. The large salaries, the prizes that are received for them, for the Romans, for the Greeks. It was not a contest for fame or money. It was for the glory of their nation. And Paul was making a point to Timothy. He said, as God's called man or woman, a preacher of the gospel, we must put our Christian living, our lifestyle, and our calling. We must do the same in that lifestyle, uh, the same kind of disciplines that the athletes put into sports. Athletes have to sacrifice. They have to say no to good things. They have to be totally devoted. You see, a holy life is not the automatic consequence of reading the right books or listening to the right podcast or attending the right meetings. It is the result of a living loving relationship with Jesus Christ and a life marked by discipline. It means setting an alarm clock early so you can get up in time in the morning to pray and meditate on God's Word. It means following that idea of consecration and concentration that the Apostle Paul said in Philippians when he said, but this one thing I do. Paul shared with Timothy and Titus certain qualifications for someone who desires the office of a bishop or you could use the term pastor or even preacher. I won't go through all of them, but he talks about living a blameless life, a life above reproach, temperate, being able to control your temper. As a preacher of the gospel, we cannot afford to be ones who lose our temper. I tell this story in class, so some of you got to humor me a little bit. But I remember growing up just down the street, new life. And we were gone on a quizzing trip. We were driving back from De Quincey, Louisiana, and it was Sunday morning. We were driving back, and we got a phone call. Something incredible and really just out of this world had happened at church that morning. Somebody had walked down the aisle, stepped up on the platform, and had hauled off and punched our pastor. Knocked him flat on the ground. The bishop, Elder Guy Rome, that was his son that got punched. And I remember the story they were being told. Brother Guy Rome was a boxer in his younger days. And, of course, I was told, of course, we weren't there. I was told when, when the man punched our pastor and he fell to the ground, I mean... All the men of the church like stormed the platform. And there was this big dog pile on the platform. It's kind of funny now, but I can imagine it was probably pretty scary. And it's just not something you see every day in a church service. 
So they ushered the man to the back where, where now at New Life, it's kind of a foyer area back there behind the platform, but it used to be the prayer room. That's where the building ended. And they pulled him back there, and the police were called. And at that moment, they had this man back there up against the wall, and Pastor Guy Rome, probably his elder at the time, but he had that boxing background. But then God called him, filling him with the Holy Ghost. But he stood and looked at that man in the face, and he said his fist was clenched. And it was everything within him not to just raise his fist and punch that guy. But the Holy Ghost restrained him. You see, because as a man or woman of the gospel, a preacher of the gospel, you cannot afford to take matters into your own hands. It's, it's, not, it's not afforded you. Maybe some saints can get away with it, which I don't think they should either. But as a preacher, you have a high and a holy calling. You are to be gentle and peaceable, not have a love of money, Paul says. Have a good reputation outside the church. But the qualifications of a preacher must be viewed in the context of what it means to walk worthy of the calling. Let's look briefly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and he is in some ways uh, trying to counteract some false accusations that had been made against him. You see, when Paul made his journey to Thessalonica and founded the church there, some scholars say he only spent possibly three weeks in Thessalonica. He didn't get to spend time to really ground the people. But after he spent three weeks and had to move on, he sent Timothy back a little bit later. And Timothy then comes back with this great report that it maybe only been a three-week revival that you held there. But you wouldn't believe the people of Thessalonica, they are grounded in the Word. There is something that's gotten a hold of them. And a great church is thriving in Thessalonica. And so Paul was overjoyed. And he writes this letter and he addresses them. And in in chapter number 2, he begins to address them because... People have come behind him and have made some accusations that Paul really wasn't who he says he was. And he wasn't preaching. He was kind of deceitful. And so Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. He said, my message was not in error. My motive was not unclean. My method was not deceitful. I gave you exactly what God had entrusted me to give you. He says in verse 4, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Paul says we've been approved, or other translations say we've been allowed. I mean, God had carefully examined Paul and found him to be fit for the ministry. God is carefully examining you and I. And then he, says, he goes on and says, and God who tests our heart. Not only did he carefully examine Paul, but he said he continues to examine me. He continues to test me. He continues to see whether I remain fit for the ministry. And I believe God does the same for those called to the ministry. He allows. He approves. And Paul said he entrusted me with the gospel. And that trust was the ultimate cause and motive for Paul's ministry. He entrusted him with the gospel. Think about that. God has entrusted us 
with his message. What is that word entrusted? What's that really entail? Well, the Hebrew version of it has a similar connotation. We look at Joseph and Hebrews or in Genesis chapter 39, verse 8. When he is receiving this proposition from Potiphar's wife, the Bible says, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house because everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. He has entrusted me with things and I, I can't, betray him I can't act in a way that shows him I'm not grateful and not thankful for what he's entrusted me with and Paul said God has entrusted me with the gospel for those of you who feel a call of God in your life to preach and teach his word I want you to understand what's happening God has entrusted you He's handed you something so precious, something that he purchased with his own blood, and he has entrusted it to you. And Paul goes on in verse 10, he said, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. He said, You're a witness. And God's a witness. And both of you confirm our lives have been lived blamelessly and holy before God. And for you, it'll be the same way. God and others will affirm and approve that you have walked blamelessly. Some people say that charisma without character is catastrophe. Paul told Timothy, be diligent to present yourselves approved unto God. He said... Rightly dividing the word of truth. Shun profane, profane and idle babblings. Flee useful lusts. Pursue righteousness. He says avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. As preachers of the gospel. You must be very careful how you act online. I am ashamed of some preachers of the gospel. The way they talk. The way they type. The things that they say. The attitudes that they carry. God help us. Do we not realize we have been entrusted with the gospel. And our character and our lifestyle. And the way we carry ourselves. Either shine honor on God's word. Or they profane God's word. We must guard our character. If we desire to be effective in the preaching of God's word. And that's why Paul then says, and I'm hurrying on, verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you. He says, it to, he says to the Ephesians, just, just uh, after this, he writes to the Ephesians that you should walk worthy of the calling, the vocation wherewith you are called. Walk worthy. Do walk in a manner worthy of. Walk worthy of God who calls you. And that's not just a one-time call. The wording in the Greek is that He continues to call you. Because He's continuing to prepare you and test you and try you. And the calling is not a one-time thing. He's calling you to continually come up higher. Continually walk in righteousness. Continually draw closer. That you walk like a people who belong to such a God. And express the virtues of this God. In your lifestyle. Because the call is in vain for those who walk unworthily. 
But we must realize it would be impossible for us to walk worthy unless it were not for God calling us and his grace enabling us to come up higher. Character oozes out of our messages. Character oozes out of our messages. Just as people reveal themselves in conversations by their words and by their mannerisms, we constantly reveal ourselves in others to others by our preaching. Over time, your word choices, your topics, your examples, your tone will unveil your heart regardless of how well you think you've cordoned off deeper truth from public display. The inside is always in view. People always sense more than they can prove by the way we present ourselves. Do you ever just walk up to somebody and you just sense something? You can't prove it. You can't prove something's off. You can't prove they're just not living like they ought to. But you sense it. As much as we might wish it otherwise, we cannot be separated from the message. You're not just somebody up here totally disconnected from the gospel and just delivering your message. You can live however you want to live and just preach however you want to preach. And somehow you can live disconnected. The, the, when God calls a man or a woman, the message is never separated from the messenger. You've heard people say in the prayer, we can commend the prayer, but you've heard people pray, oh God, hide me behind the cross. Let them not see me, but let them see you. Let them not hear me, let them hear you. But can I tell you, that's a wonderful prayer, but there is not one place that you as a preacher can hide. Even in a large pulpit, of course this is glass, I can't hide behind it if I wanted to. We affect our message. The audience does not hear a sermon. They hear a person. They hear you. Perhaps you've experienced this. Somebody asked you to come hear this preacher. You need to go on to YouTube. You need to listen to this preacher. My pastor. You need to, you need to hear him. And you go on, you listen to him, you visit the church, and you hear their pastor, and you're like, he's all right. What made it so incredible to that person? You didn't know the character. You didn't know the lifestyle they live. You didn't really know them. But for this person, that message was so incredible. And every time they preach, it's so incredible. Why? It's not that they were maybe the best orator or the greatest communicator. But that... There was something about the character of that individual. You knew they were connected to God. You knew. And, and something about the character of the messenger elevates the message in people's eyes. You, by the way you live and the way you care, and that's why I felt to say this to you young people who are studying and, and preparing your life. I want what you do right now is affecting the message you'll preach 10 years from now. You will never be separated from the message. So let no one despise your youth, but be an example. Let me tell this in closing. I shouldn't be here today. I shouldn't be the one behind this pulpit. I've done nothing to earn this. My past is a maze of mistakes. Bad choices. Bad decisions. Ungodly words spoken. Indiscretions. All the while growing up in church. I knew better. Some of you get up behind this pulpit and say the exact same thing. 
my past littered with mistakes. But God has entrusted me. He's led me by his grace. And he's entrusted me with the gospel, with his word, with truth, to carry it with anointing, with boldness, with confidence, with honor. And Paul says, so walk worthy. But how can I walk worthy? I can't walk worthy. My past testifies to the fact nothing I can or will do will be good enough to be worthy of God or the calling on my life. I could pray every minute of the day for the rest of my life, but I'd never be good enough or worthy enough to earn God's approval. I could fast as much as my body would allow, and I'd never be good enough or worthy enough to earn God's approval. I could bridle my tongue and never say another wicked word, but I would never be good enough or worthy enough to earn God's approval. I could resist every temptation and stand clean and unspotted from the world, but it would never still be good enough for me to earn God's approval. All the mistakes of my past, it could never make up for them. Nothing I could do could ever make me worthy so how do I walk worthy how do I do what you ask Paul how do I walk worthy of God who's called me first of all I recognize he made me worthy his sacrifice on Calvary his blood his mercy is great it's all because of him and has nothing to do with me I did nothing to earn it. All I did was receive salvation by faith, responding in repentance and baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I, I, I know I can't walk worthy on my own, but how do I do this? I first of all recognize He made me worthy. And then secondly, I act because of grace and mercy. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. I pursue holiness because of mercy. I pursue righteousness because of mercy. The Lord Jesus Christ picked us up out of our sin and placed us in the context of mercy and grace. And then He called us in that context of mercy and grace. And to walk worthy of God and the calling on our lives, we must act in the context of this mercy and grace. However, what happens is we often pick up our spiritual pursuits and disciplines and we pick them up outside of mercy and grace and we set them to stand alone on their own and all of our righteous acts of obedience and our spiritual disciplines and our standards of holiness they set them outside of mercy and grace and we cause them to stand on their own and what happens is that they become a pursuit to that we try to earn our way back into mercy and grace and what happens it produces judgmental attitudes and it produces pride because we're trying to earn it outside of grace and when we fall short we feel condemned and we resort to self-loathing and because our self-image is tied to how we perform because we got to be better we got to do better than everybody else and when we set them outside the context of grace we're trying to hard to work righteousness and holiness to do better to be holy if I as a preacher if I'll just pray harder if I'll just study longer if I'll just fast more then I can maybe earn my way back into anointing and earn my way back into grace and mercy but we can never earn it 
we just have to pick all that back up and set it back in the context of grace. And my motivation is no longer, I got to try harder. But my motivation is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for calling me. Thank you, Lord, for entrusting me with the gospel. Remain standing if you would. Some would say, though, and I got to say this. Some would say, well, if we live in that grace and mercy, then we can just rely on grace and mercy. And I don't have to pursue righteous acts because we're all living under grace. But hear me today. Not only must we recognize that God made, me, made us worthy, and not only must we act out of grace and mercy, but we must not neglect walking worthy. If I do not pursue righteous acts, I'm not grateful. I trample His grace and His great sacrifice that made me worthy and His trust He has placed in me to carry the gospel. I don't lift all my right. These people that do this, they don't lift all their righteous efforts outside the context of grace, like the self-righteous and the prideful and the judgmental. But instead, they lift themselves out of the context of God's grace. You can't live in grace without walking worthy of that grace. You're not earning it. Earning it is pulling it outside and trying to do it without it. But you can't live in grace without walking worthy of God's grace. Our, our, our actions, our attitudes, our response, our words, our actions, our lifestyle, they determine whether I'm living in grace and favor. No, I'm not earning anything. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm choosing to live in grace and favor. As God calls me, come up higher. Walk worthy. Live a life that's motivated by mercy. As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul said, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. If you're just like me, you don't deserve to stand behind this pulpit. You don't deserve to hold a microphone and open your mouth and declare to people the word of the Lord. You don't deserve the right to do it. None of us deserves the right to do it. But God, in His grace and mercy, He has entrusted us with the gospel. And if He saw fit to entrust me with His word, then, oh God, I want to walk worthy. I want to walk worthy and live in grace and live in mercy. And, and pursue righteousness in that context and come up higher to where you've called me to live because we have been entrusted with the gospel we must walk worthy of God who calls us would you lift your hands to heaven right now I want us to ask the Lord right now to help us to commit ourselves to give ourselves to walking worthy oh God we cannot earn this we cannot earn your favor we cannot earn your grace oh but God we want to live in righteousness because we're so thankful we want to live in holiness because you're so thankful we want to carry ourselves in clean impurity because you're so grateful because we're so grateful you've entrusted us with this wonderful gospel and we're so grateful Lord we're so grateful we're so grateful 
Somebody lift your hands. Tell him how grateful you are. God's entrusted you with his word. God's entrusted you with his hand of calling on your life. God's entrusted you. He's calling you to come up higher. He's calling you to pursue him more. Not on your own outside of mercy. He wants to help you. He wants to help you when you fall. He wants to be there when you're inconsistent. And he wants to keep calling you up higher. Keep calling you up to more. Keep calling you to come higher, to do more, to be more like Him, to draw closer to Him, to come nearer and walk worthy of the calling we have been called. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I want to walk 